Hello everyone, welcome to Langstaff Assembly Podcast. My name is Yanaili Joyce and I'm your host for this episode. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you and that it draws you near to God. I'm going to be reading uh, from First Chronicles. There's, uh, I think there's nine chapters here for us to read. First Chronicles 13 to 21. But uh, I'll just read portions of those. I won't read them all. Uh, today, as far as I, I understand, uh, I have talked to you about this man, David, uh, as a protector, a sheep protector, so as a shepherd. Uh, I have considered with you David the giant slayer, uh, the man who... Uh, who took down Goliath with the help of God. And I believe last time we considered David the runner. Uh, He was anointed king by Samuel, but he was not crowned king, and he was on the run. And there was a lot of experiences that that happened during that time period uh, that, that gave us some very good lessons. Today, uh, I will consider David the worshiper, and uh, the words on the screen are are the words of the Lord Jesus, Um, and it's just a a good reminder to all of us that God is seeking. What we are doing here this morning, and what we do throughout our days and throughout uh, our weeks, uh, even when we are not gathered here, God is seeking worshipers, true worship. So this is kind of thesis statement. True worship will require intentional living. True worship will require intentional living. Now, in ancient days, uh, I put this picture up um, just to remind us that uh, Uh, Before the coming of the Lord Jesus, the ark was the center of worship for God's people. Um, This, uh, I mean, I put its construction, its top, its content, its placement, its purpose, its transportation. uh, All of these aspects, uh, I guess it's it's really a study all on its own. uh, Because this box that you're looking at, this picture is important and was important because uh, somehow, some way, the, the presence of God resided in this little box. It needed to be handled with special care and, and sacred reverence. Sadly, that was not always the case. Now, we know how it came through the wilderness, but in the, in, in, in the book of Samuel, uh, in particular, under Eli, number one, uh, the ark was desecrated. The sons, his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were uh, an abomination in its service. And uh, it was used as a, as a mascot, and, and it, it, it was captured by the Philistines and, and later returned. So under Eli, it was desecrated. Under Saul, King Saul, uh, the ark was forgotten. 
King Saul was all about himself and, and, and didn't care much for uh, the glory and the presence and the worship of the Lord. And so the ark was like a non-entity to him. Sad but true. Under David, the ark was restored. And this brings me to my first point in where we are going to read in First uh, Chronicles 13. Let's just read the first four verses together. David consulted uh, with the commanders of thousands and of hundreds with every leader. And David said to all the assembly of Israel, uh, if it seems good to you and from the Lord our God, let us uh, send abroad to our brothers who remain in all the hand, lands of Israel as well as to the priests and the Levites in the cities uh, that have pasture lands that they may be gathered to us. Notice verse three. Then let us bring again the ark of our God to us. For we did not seek it in the days of Saul. And all the assembly agreed to do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So my, my point is, is basically this, that true worship, true worship is giving God priority. In First Chronicles 10, Saul dies. In chapter 11, uh, David is anointed new king and, and takes Jerusalem. In chapter 12, his mighty men are gathered around him. And with the nation united under him, he gets to what is, is most important to him. That is the Ark of the Covenant. And David wants it near him. He wants it in a place of prominence. He wants to bring it up to Jerusalem. And, and one of the very first things that David does when he becomes king is to bring this ark back to Jerusalem. There was a priority given to the ark to God and to worshiping him. This is the point. You worship what is important to you. You worship what is important to you. In his book, Life with a Capital L, uh, Matt Hurd uh, says, and I put the quote on, on the screen, uh, worship is simply the act of attributing elevated worth to something or someone and demonstrating it through the devotion of my energy, resources, focus, time, and anticipation. We are creatures designed to worship. There is no such thing as a human who doesn't worship. The, the real issue revolves around what or who do we worship. So, so uh, worship is, is elevated, worthy, uh, something that is worthy of the worth that you are giving it. As Paul talks about the sad example of God's people uh, going through the wilderness, you will remember um, uh, the solemn command in, in 1 Corinthians 10 is this, do not be idolaters. Do not be idolaters 
as some of them were. If worship is elevating God to his rightful place, then idolatry is displacing God with something else. And the list is huge, since an idol can be made of basically anything. I doubt if any of you have uh, a golden calf in your home. I certainly hope not anyway. Um, but uh, maybe your God is power or wealth, or, or things, or a career, or appearance, or leisure, or relationships, or sports, or education. Like I said, the, the list is huge. Did you know that some have made gods even of their spouse? As wonderful and beautiful or handsome and prolific as they may be, uh, he or she will make a very poor God. Going back to our definition from Mr. Hurd, uh, God deserves elevated worth. As we love, as we serve, as we grow, as we place worth on our um, on our God, he is, he is elevated uh, in uh, uh, his presence. Some have made a God of religion, uh, of a system, of a way of doing things, of rules and procedures. But, but we worship God, not a system. The system is just the means for us to collectively give God his elevated place of worth. Secondly, true worship is living in obedience to God. Now, I know this is a, a simple principle, but uh, it's very true. Let, let's just read these words. I think it would be good for us to, uh, to read them together. First uh, uh, Chronicles 13, uh, verse Five, so David assembled all Israel from the Nile of Egypt to uh, Lebo Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kirjath-Jerim. And David and all Israel went up to uh, Baalhah, that is Kirjath-Jerim, that belongs to Judah, to bring up the ark uh, of God, which is called by the name of the Lord, who sits enthroned above the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab and uh, Uzzah and Ahoi, Ahio were driving the cart. And David and all Israel were celebrating before God and all their, with all their might, with song and lyres and harps and uh, tambourines and cymbals and trumpets. And when they came to the threshing floor of uh, Chidon, Uzzah put out his hand to take hold of the ark for the ox, the oxen stumbled and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah and he struck him down because he uh, put out his hand to the ark and he died there before the Lord, or before God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. 
And David was afraid of God that day and said, how can I bring the ark of God home to me? So David said to, uh, so David did not take the ark home into the city of David, but took it aside to the house of uh, Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark remained with the house of Obed-Edom in his house three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. Just a, a couple of simple principles here from this uh, interesting and, and tragic story. Uh, bringing out the simple fact that true worship is living in obedience to God. In, in this section, David had noble desires. He wanted to bring uh, the ark to a place of, of rest and prominence. He truly wanted to honor God, but, but he did make a few drastic mistakes. Just let me point out a couple. First of all, he consulted with the leaders, which was good. Always good to, to consult with friends and leaders uh, that you were associated with. Uh, but in this case, we do not see him consulting with God. Very often in David's experience, when he went out to battle, when he was doing great things, he, he consulted with the Lord. We don't read of that here. In his excitement, he, he failed to ensure that it was properly transported, or, or maybe he simply left that responsibility to others, to the priest. There have been all sorts of fanciful applications I know made about this passage about the new carts and from, from changing the meeting times to, to singing different hymns to whatever else. But, but I think we need to be careful in our applications. But thirdly, David shows fear, which is good, but he also showed pride. He was angry with the Lord and he left the ark for three months in this place. Instead of immediately responding in humility and contrition and falling before God, there, there was a space here of what, I, I, maybe I'm wrong, I, I stand to be corrected, but I see a measure of of pride. Now, the two lessons uh, on the, the screen that I would like to, to simply draw are these. Number one, knowing God's truth, and secondly, understanding God's character. David should have known, and the priest should have known, that the ark was meant to be carried on the shoulders of, of a Levite. In fact, it, it, it was to be a, a Kohathite and in uh, a, a direct command was not to touch it. You can go back to uh, Numbers chapter 4, verse 15, and you will read this. Now, I'm not saying that David decidedly uh, sinned against God, but it is very possible that the priests responsible were consciously and knowing that they were doing something that they shouldn't be doing. They were disobeying a command of God. Now, while God doesn't expect you all to be theologians or Bible scholars, he does expect you to grow in your knowledge of truth. 
David at this point was not a young, naive believer. He was, he was king in Israel. He knew his Bible. And he should have known this. It is not, it is not about how much you know, but how much you practice of what you know. That, that principle is true for every single one of us. We know a lot, brothers and sisters. Let us practice what we know. Understanding God's character. According to uh, 1 Samuel 7, the ark was resting uh, at the house of Abinadab in Kerjath Jerem. Uh, his son Eliezer was put in charge of the ark, and, and it was there for 20 years all through the reign of Saul. In verse 9, the ark was being moved on a cart and guided by two brothers, Ahio and Uzzah. One in front, one behind. And you know what happened. I read this story. The oxen stumbled. Uzzah reached out to steady it. And, 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 and I mean, naturally speaking, you would think he was doing the right thing. He was doing a good thing. Uh, and and. It's just very tragic, very solemn, and, and I'll be honest with you, a little bit hard to understand why God cut him down. Now, I don't have all the answers, but a footnote in my NLT says this. As the Dead Sea Scrolls, manus, uh, Dead sea Scrolls Maserati uh, text reads, okay, this is how it reads. The Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah and God struck him dead because of his irreverence. Because of his irreverence. Isn't that the same reason why Moses was forbidden to go into the land? Because instead of respecting God's word, instead of respecting God, instead of, of, of uh, speaking to the rock, he, he, he struck it. And so here is a man, and he should have known better, and he, he, he acted according to the, the Masoretic text. He acted in irreverence. Uzzah was not acting in the fear of God. He was not giving honor to the sacredness and the holiness of God's character. Now, as for David, he knew, he knew a lot about God. He knew that God was creator and maker of all things. We read in, in the Psalms, uh, he knew that, that God could enable him to bring victory, David and Goliath. He, he knew that God cared about him and protected him in times of crisis. He, he understood uh, that God's time is best and that God is sovereign over all. He also knew that God is holy. Why or how he allowed things to get to this point, I, I'm not really sure, but I know, I know in my own heart, this process of, of drifting, this process of, of, uh, of getting to a point of, of irreverence in our heart toward God is, is a gradual, subtle thing. Where, where we lose the sense of, of worship and awe and wonder at the greatness 
of who God is. This is one of the reasons why what we are doing here this morning is so very important. Just allowing the, 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 the greatness of God's person to, to come to permeate. Now, verse 12 says that David was afraid of God and chose not to continue with, uh, 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 with the journey, uh, on his journey with the ark. Is it possible to know a lot about God and yet not know God? This is what Paul was getting at in when he was writing to the Philippian believers. And it was, it was really the, his, his greatest desire in relation to the Lord Jesus that I might know him. Not know about him, but that I might know him. Experiential, personal knowledge. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Thirdly, true worship is a holistic experience. Now you have to go uh, to chapter 15, I guess, to, to get the, the details of this. And, and, and I'm not going to, to read the whole chapter. Just look at verse 2, first of all. Uh, then David said to the one, uh, uh, this, this kind of goes back to my earlier point. Then David said that no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God. See how he gets things right now? For the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister to him forever. So he learned from his mistake. And, and that's, that's a good thing. When, when we, I mean, we are going to make mistakes, right? We're not perfect but when we can learn from our mistakes. The reason I use uh, the word holistic uh, in my outline is due to the fact that, that I, or, or we, uh, have, I think maybe I'll just use the I, uh, a very narrow and limited concept of, of what worship is. So much so that, that this gathering that we're at uh, right now, participating in, we have referred to as the worship meeting, as if none of the other gatherings or none of the other activities involve worship. But, but what I would just like to, to, to lift here is that worship is, is holistic and, and it's, it involves our, our whole being. It's not a once a week experience. It's not just words that we say on a Sunday morning. In fact, we can just say words and that's all they are, just words and not worship. In this chapter, we witness David engaging all of his being, his body, his soul, and his spirit were working together for the glory of God. Of God. Now I put on the screen these words, and and uh, I've repeated them here probably um, I don't know I was going to say two or three times maybe even more and and so you know that I love these words by William Temple and uh, I won't repeat them. Uh, you can see them for yourself or at least I think you can yes. And um, but it's interesting that back in in 1931. This man, William Temple, was leading a large congregation in the singing of the familiar hymn that we often sing when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. 
And just before the last stanza, and, and I believe there was a, a large group of individuals, probably over 2,000 people in the congregation, he, he lifted his hands and, and he stopped them from singing. And this is what he said, if you mean these words, so they're coming to these last words, were the whole realm of nature mine. Okay, and, and he, he stops the congregation and he says, if you mean these words with all your heart, then sing as loud as you can. He said, if you don't, if these words mean nothing to you, he said, just, just remain quiet. Don't, don't sing them. They're not worthy of, 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 of coming from your lips. If, if, if you don't. But he said, if you, if you mean them just a little and you want them to mean more, then just softly sing. Were the whole realm of nature mine. That were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my heart, my life, my all. And according to uh, what I read, uh, there, was, there was a low, hush singing of about 2,000 people singing those words. Just, yeah, they mean a little. I want them to mean more. And so here, here is David, and, and I, I can't really get into it, but, but he talks about this experience uh, before the Lord. And uh, he, he uh, where is it anyway? Uh, verse, um, it, it, it comes out clearer back in, in Samuel, uh, in, in 1 Samuel chapter uh, 9, I believe it is, but I've kind of lost my place here. But, but anyway, um, in verse uh, 29, it says about Michael uh, that she saw King David dancing and celebrating. And of course, she despised him in her heart. But here was a man, and, and it's like, all the stops were barred and, and everything. He, he didn't care if his wife was watching. He didn't care who was looking. He was just, he was just so occupied with the Lord. And that's what I, I mean sometimes when we have such a, a narrow idea of what worship is. I wonder if we could just, if we could just in our worship, even as we come here, just Forget everyone else is here. Forget who's watching. Forget who's, uh, what people are thinking. And, and just in, in total unabandonment, or total abandonment, just pour out our hearts to God. But we have the privilege, of course, of doing this uh, all our days. Okay, time is pretty well gone here. Uh, the last three points I'll just zip through. Uh, true worship, worship starts with a spirit of gratitude. Now, you can read chapter 16 on your own. David, uh, he prays, and, and this kind of lines up with uh, the readings that Sean gave us in the Psalms. But, um, I mean, true worship starts with a spirit of gratitude. And you can go down, I think I have uh, 11 things that are mentioned here uh, in, in this prayer of David. And, and they all focus on the Lord, uh, on his Lord. And, and David is so overcome that in verse 25, he, he bursts out in, 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 in uh, worship. And he says, for great is the Lord and 
greatly to be praised, and he is to be feared uh, above all the gods. And so his worship, it started with gratitude. You know, we have a lot to be thankful for this morning. And, and as difficult, uh, our brother was mentioning the last two years, and as difficult as life can be at times, we have so much to be grateful for. Not just the things that are mentioned on the screen about the character of our God, but just, just our life in general. So many things. And I hope that we will have a, a spirit of gratitude. Five, true worship is desiring to give God the best. In chapter 17, um, chapter 17, we, we, uh, we find that, uh, that David, the ark is back in, in Jerusalem and uh, David is living in, in a huge big palace and, uh, and, and he has this desire that, that the ark, that, that, that instrument that represented, that, that held the presence of God, he wanted he wanted a, a, a palace. He wanted a temple. He wanted something. He, he didn't want it just in a... He said, how is it that I'm in a big palace and this, and this ark is in a little tent? We need to build something big. And initially, Nathan the prophet, he was, he was gung-ho for it. And, and uh, he, he thought that it was a good idea for David to build the temple. But of course, the Lord spoke to him. You can read the story. And the key is this, when David hears back from Nathan that he's not allowed to build the, or build the, the temple, it says, you can read it from verse 16 down to the end, but uh, verse 16 says, then King David went in and sat before the Lord. Isn't that good? He sat before the Lord and said, who am I? Three times, actually, in, in the life of David, you will read David saying those words, who am I? Just bringing out his, his humility. But, but, but it's, just the, it's, just, it's just this idea that, that, that David wanted to give God the best. He, he wasn't leaving. I, it was Carter that was here a few weeks ago and, and speaking about Malachi, who, where, where, where God's people were giving God the leftovers, the, the, what, what, what was uh, just left and what they didn't want. Of course, the great example is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is our Lord Jesus Christ. And he gave himself. That, that's what God wants. God wants us to give himself. And that brings me to my final point. Uh, true worship is costly. True worship is costly. It was costly for the Lord Jesus. You know, the cross was an act of worship. But it will be costly for us. Now, in this chapter, chapter 21, David had, had sinned. He had counted the people, something he wasn't supposed to do. He acknowledged it. He received forgiveness for it. Now, at God's command, he builds an altar. And uh, you can read the full account in chapter 21, 18 down to 29. But um, he went to Ornan, the Jebusite, uh, who would have given David the grounds. But notice what, what David said in 21 and verse 22. And David said to Ornan, 
Give me the site of the threshing floor that I may build an altar to the Lord. Give it to me. And this is, notice these words. Give it to me at its full price that the plague may be averted from the people. And so the text that came to my mind is the one that's on the screen. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. And I want to leave this one with you. I appeal to you. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. When Paul says present, he means full surrender. When Paul says your bodies, he means your whole being. When, when he says a living sacrifice, he means dying daily. When he says holy and acceptable, he means right living, doing what's right. And when he says your spiritual worship, he means Honoring God. God loved us enough to give us his one and only son. That's what it means to place value on someone. You go the distance. You make the sacrifice. You do what is needed. You don't worry about the cost. And the, co and the cross is proof of that. Now, if you have never bowed your knee to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have never surrendered your life to him, if you have never received him as your personal Lord and Savior, then now is the time to do that. There's no better time than right now to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. But for a good number of us, it brings us full circle to where I started. What you worship, you worship rather what is important to you. May we continually and intentionally worship the one who gave himself for us. May we continually and intentionally worship the one who gave himself. Hey, thank you so much for listening. What a privilege it was to share God's word with you today. We pray that you were fed, strengthened, and more equipped to run the race with perseverance. To listen to more podcasts like this, make sure to subscribe. For more content from Langstaff and to connect with us, go to langstaffassembly.com. Have a blessed day and we'll see you next time.